have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its form. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, wow, that wasn't meant to happen. Imagine a blank slide. I'd like to write Justin up now. <laughs> Thank you. I like a blank slide. It is meant to be a blank slide. <laughs> so uh, if you listen closely there a moment ago, the, um, that psalmist written thousands of years ago, he, uh, he basically said the Bible is more, the word of God or the Bible is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. So that songwriter is coming from the position that the Bible or the Word of God is beautiful. He's not saying it's blah, he's saying it's beautiful. I'm going to make a case or, or have a look at what might drive someone to write those words in a few moments' time. But the question is, the Bible, blah or beautiful? It's a great question and the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> of course, yes. Blah and beautiful. Four things to say right off the bat. Firstly, the question is subjective. Blah or beautiful? You tell me. They're asking you, do you find it blah or do you find it beautiful? It's a little bit like saying the gym, blah or beautiful. Some say blah, some say beautiful. You tell me, it's a subjective question. Of course, the truth about the gym is that it's almost always both blah and beautiful. It's hard, but it's only good, I take it, if it's hard. Isn't that correct? But it's also beautiful, the outcome of a gym, fitness, etc. In fact, I take it it's only beautiful if it's hard. The gym, that is, we're talking about. Sorry to talk about the gym. Second thing to say off the bat is uh, it's that's the first thing that's subjective. The second uh, thing to say is, on any reading of the Bible, the Bible itself is both blah and beautiful. So if anyone says, it's all beautiful, the Bible's all beautiful, then I think, have you read the bits about the war and the bloodshed? Or have you just skipped over them? Have you read the story of the ten plagues out of, of Egypt? Have you read the descriptions of the just judgment of God to come? Jesus talked about hell, he talked about Worm not dying, you know, uh, fire's not going out. I mean, there's some difficult parts of the Bible. Not, to, not least, of course, to mention the question of human sexuality, which is top of the list, of course, 
it deserves its own topic, and as I understand it, you might get to the topic of human sexuality in the coming weeks, but there are some people that read the parts about human sexuality and think, gee, that's like gold to me, you know? And some people read it and find the parts about human sexuality offensive, and you know that's true in our current society. But it's worth saying, at the heart of Christianity, at its very heart, is a bloody execution. Can't get around that. Which Christians celebrate as good, right? Good Friday. We'll get to that in a few moments' time. So, unless you define beautiful as anything coming from God, unless you say, truth is beauty, unless you say that, there are parts of the Bible that are blah. And blah, of course, can be parts you think are horrific or bad, but it also could be parts that are boring. Land allotments in Joshua. <laughs> but I, I wonder whether it would be Bible blah or beautiful Bible meh, you know, which would be more like boring. But I mean, you know, you read numbers, just start plowing through it, and you realise, well, the name gives it away, really. Numbers. Numbers. Unless you're an accountant, and then you're like excited. <laughs> now I know, again, you're probably too young for The Simpsons, right? But there's that moment where. Homer starts to listen to the Bible thinking he's going to die and he gets halfway through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible and he falls asleep. I used to go to church with a guy who was the marketing manager for Qantas and all the time that guy wants to know what's the connection between the things I need right now. And that's what you do if you're the marketing manager of Qantas. In the end he left my church because he couldn't see the relevance at every moment he thought it was all blah. Now that's if you think the Bible's only beautiful. But if anyone on the other side of the coin says it's all blah, like the whole thing's rubbish, I want to say to you, how is it possible that millions and millions and millions and millions of people find the message of the Bible so beautiful? Are they all masochists? No, there must be something about the Bible that is attractive, that makes them keep coming back. And unless you say, because the whole thing is a hoax, a lie... Since it's a hoax, you might say to yourself, even the beautiful things are necessarily blah, as in a beautiful lie is the worst lie. Unless you say that, I just don't think you can make the case that there's no beauty in the Bible. There is beauty in the Bible. I mean, seriously. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is uh, kind. (laughs) That's the Moffat translation. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, love is not proud, it doesn't dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. Who reads that and says, that's yuck? No one. Or, you, a lot of people won't know this, but Zephaniah 3 says to the people of God, don't fear, don't let your hands hang limp. God is with you, right? He leads you beside still waters. He restoreth my soul, right? Uh, 23rd Psalm. In Zephaniah 3, God will take great delight in you. God will rejoice over you with singing. Who says that's blah? Or practical things like John 8, you know, whoever has not sinned, cast the first stone. Or Jesus, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, these are things almost everybody agrees with. Third thing to say is, of course it's blah and beautiful. Um, 
I mean, people keep coming back. You know, keep coming back for a beating. Of course, some people might find some of the words very hard. But they still say, I'm in. I'm so attracted to this book. I met with this fellow called Graham, not his real name. He had, in his early 20s and and, uh, late 20s, had plunged himself into a program to fulfil his every desire and appetite. And uh, a lot of it was was heterosexual and uh, and damaging to the people that he had. And some of it was homosexual. A lot of it was to do with pornography. And uh, I met him soon after he'd become a Christian and, uh, and asked him how. And he said he read the line in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus says, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And most people look at that line and go, ah, blah, or hard, or... But he read it and said, finally someone's telling the truth. Finally I'm meeting someone who's talking about human sexuality and not changing the goalposts to suit their own desires. And he said, I read that line, he said it was like looking into the eyes of God and falling in. I had to become a Christian. He did that despite his desires. Do you understand that? He did that even though everything he read there was in contradiction to what he was doing and believing. Amazing story. Moments like this divide, some say blast, some say beautiful, are all the way through the New Testament. I'll give an example. In John chapter 6, Jesus gives some hard teaching. And we read in verse 66 of John chapter 6, we read that from that time on, many of his people following him turned back and they no longer followed him. And Jesus said to his 12 close friends, his disciples, he said, do you want to leave too? Do you? Are you, you're, you know, he wasn't not a control freak. Are you, you want to go as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? What other options do we have? Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, I might want to go, but it's too beautiful to walk away from. Jesus later says in that chapter, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Jesus later says, I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance or have it to the full. So some people are going to say blah, some people are going to say beautiful. Lastly, of course, as the question put up, what if it were both? What if the Bible isn't a seesaw? You know, is it blah or beautiful? Sometimes blah and sometimes beautiful. When my wife went to give birth to our first child, I went around and talked to people who'd had children and said, what was it like? You know, um, I wanted to know as one not, the one not giving birth. I still wanted to know what it was like. <laughs> and um, women in particular, uh, but also the fathers, had said to me, oh, it's the best day, and oh, it's the worst. And I was thinking like a seesaw, well, which one is it? You know, this is a contradiction. It's either the worst or it's the best. No, 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 it's the best. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely the worst. And when, of course, I did not give birth, <laughs> doing very well, honey, <laughs> keep going. Um, I, only afterwards did I come out and say, oh, only in the experience of it, such as it was for me, only in the experience of it could I realise that both were true at the same time. Blah and beautiful. And that's what makes it attractive. Listen to Jesus. Jesus said on the eve of his horrible, bloody death, 
He said to his friends, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn when I die, while the world rejoices. Good, the death of Christianity. You will grieve, said Jesus to his friends, but your grief will turn to joy. And then he talks about a woman giving birth. He says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And then he says, that's the case with you. Now is your time of grief. You're going to say, this is blah. We thought you were the hope of the world and they strung you on a cross. We thought you were the answer and you're dead now and in the tomb. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. The resurrection will give you everything you need. It's the door, the resurrection, to every sort of joy and substantial hope, says Jesus. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Can't be taken away, said Jesus. In other words, there's a both and thing going on there. Meant to be hard, Christianity. You heard that line, um, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting as someone like Peter Fitzsimons would want you to believe. It's not been tried and found wanting but rather it has been found difficult and left untried. I'm here to say, it is difficult. Don't, do not leave it untried. Okay. In fact, like the gym, the, hard, the, the hardness of it is the way to joy, a point made by the life of Jesus. So my question then uh, this afternoon, why would you want to believe? What will get you back to the gym? That's a metaphor, right? I don't care about you going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> What would get you to read the Bible again, to investigate, maybe even to yield, like my friend Graham? What would get you to do that? And one simple answer is that you discover on tasting that the Bible is in fact true what it says about itself, namely that the words of God are like honey, even if sometimes not easy to swallow. In fact, the writer of the psalm, Psalm 19, read a moment ago by Beck, thank you, sweeter than honey. It goes like this, Psalm 19, verse 10, the decrees of the Lord are more precious than gold. Now, some of you don't believe that. More than much pure gold, they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. It's interesting, the Bible, by the way, is full of metaphors about what it's like. Uh, metaphors, of course, represent a collusion of language. You know, here to wake us up. And here are some metaphors for the Bible. Sweet and honey. A mirror to the soul, James chapter 1. A sword to pierce the heart. Hebrews 4. That's good news, not bad news. Like the, like the knife of a, of a surgeon. There to heal. Open you up and heal you. The Bible says in Isaiah, the word of God is like rain to water the purposes of God. Or a seed, Jesus said in Mark 4, bearing fruit. A seed in the heart. James says that too. Or in the Psalms, the Bible is like a lamp to my feet. And here's what I want uh, from this afternoon. I want those who are tempted to say, blah. I would love you to choose... Jesus Christ, the beautiful one, without denying the hardness. We'll come to that. 
I want you not only to hear from God, I want you to believe. I want you to replace the cynicism with delight. I want you to go from blah to beautiful without denying either. To do that, I want to look at Psalm 19 with you. I want to ask, what does it mean that the Bible, this book here, so profound, by the way, sort of large and small, isn't it? You know, um, It's large, but, and yet it's just one book, uh, written over thousands of years. Your experience of it is different from each person. But some people read it and say, it's the answer. The answer's right here. What does it mean that the Bible is sweeter than honey? Secondly, why is the Bible sweeter than honey? And thirdly, what do I do if it feels bitter? So firstly, what does it mean? It means that the word of God is good, tasty and nourishing. That's what it means. Honey is a rich metaphor in the Bible. The promises of God being like a land flowing with honey, milk and honey. Honey, of course, is rich, tasty, smooth and delightful. And the way it's made, oh my. The way honey is made, bees collecting nectar from flowers and then taking it home to make honeycomb dripping with honey. We continue to use the metaphor in our society. We use the word honey for someone you love or um, you catch more bees with honey. We talk about as marketing strategy. What it means is that the word of God is the most delightful news ever. It's the perfect blend of sweetness and nourishment and it is rich and thick. The decrees of God says the psalmist is sweeter than honey. In the prophets, they're told to eat the scrolls, to eat the word, I know that's strange, to eat the words, and when they do, we're told it'll turn sweeter than honey in their in, inside. Firstly, that's the first question. And the first question is, what does it mean that the Bible's sweeter than honey? Secondly, why then is the Bible sweeter than honey? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Since increasing numbers of people are willing to say that the Bible's content is not just meh, or even blah, but ugly. Not just benign, but benevolent. When I was at university, it was benign. Now, I think, for some, the word of the scriptures is malevolent. Hurting people. Now, there are a million ways to answer the question why the Bible's sweeter than honey. Um, Since in the Christian message we're talking about some of the greatest things that humankind has ever known and we say that the reason why the Bible is sweeter than honey is because it's good news. In the Christian message you have solid ground for believing in grace, love, justice, compassion, hope and peace. Now I'm I'm sure those things aren't just belonging. I mean people who don't share the Christian worldview love those things as well. But what you have in the Christian message is proper ground or proper foundation for those things. They're not just good ideas that are attractive, but rather necessary things because they come out of the character of a God who predates matter. They're necessary things. And so you have not just any grace, but a particular kind of grace. Not just any love, but a sacrificial love modelled by God himself. Not just any justice, but eventually comprehensive justice. Not just the one you can get here and now by through the courts. You have a substantial hope, not just wishful thinking, and a peace that surpasses all understanding. You get the point. All of it, Christians say, is secured by the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if that's new to you, that's something to explore. 
But the bottom line is you can only have all these things with forgiveness. You can't have them without forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift. It's called salva- Christians call it salvation. It's a door of forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, to God <laughs> that you've got to walk through. Uh, and when you take all of this in by faith, you discover that the words of the Bible are honey to the soul. That's why the challenge is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 19 is fascinating because the psalmist says, First, look up. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night. They're... In other words, the world is amazing, says the psalmist. The universe is stunning. The skies are breathtaking. Um, any poets here? Wannabe poets? You know, Jared Manley Hopkins. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. The heavens speak. They say there is one who is glorious. And of human being? In the Christianity Explored course, that's often run, I don't know if it's run here, but it opens with these lines. You are amazing. You're amazing. If you saw you in an art gallery, you would instantly ask who the artist was. Where'd you come from? That's not the book your parents didn't read to you. One of my favourite lines is G.K. Chesterton when he said, I'd always vaguely felt facts to be miracles in the sense that they are wonderful. You you go to study something in science and you go, whoa. Now, after becoming a Christian, I began to think of them as miracles in the stricter sense that they were willful. I meant that they were or might be repeated exercises of a will. You know, science is the potentially the exploration of the grandeur of God, the way he normally does things, which is why you can put things under a microscope, why they're repeatable. G.K. Chesterton says, in short, I'd always believed the world involved wonder. Now I thought perhaps it involved a wonder maker. There is God. But how would you find out more? If the skies are the door to one who is glorious, what next? The psalmist then moves from what what Christians call general revelation, wow, I think I believe in God, to specific revelation. God has spoken in his word. The psalmist says, don't look up, look down at your feet, at the lamp, the Bible you have in front of you. The psalmist, God has spoken his decrees to Israel, the law, the Torah, the precepts, the story of God's grace to Israel and then to the world. Use this word to walk by. And that's why in the, some of those verses there, in verses 7 to 13, he talks about what we call the Bible, right? The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, trustworthy, making wise, the simple. That's me. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy, radiant, giving light, pure, enduring forever. What we say is that God's word is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, and pure. And what does it do? It refreshes the soul. It helps simple people like me to become wise. Brings joy to my heart, light to my eyes, insight for the journey, and it evokes in me the fear of God. You know, which gives me, puts me in exactly the right place to be in order to be fully alive as a human being, namely humbled. It's the only place to be lifted up. And what do those decrees speak of? Eventually they say what God has done, is doing, and will do through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He, in the end, is sweeter than honey, 
and more precious to gold, a point that the Apostle Paul makes when he said, it's not with perishable things such as gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. No one could buy your freedom. No, it's not with gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He is sweeter than honey. So there needs to be a, a new and renewed love of, of God's word. Thomas Woolcock wrote this, Believing is the most wonderful thing in the world. Chesterton again, Let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Is that you? Rico Tice, Christianity Explored, If you don't think that Christianity is the best news you've ever heard, then you can be sure you've not understood it. Thirdly and finally, many people are loggerheads with the Bible. They struggle with it. What do I do if the Bible feels bitter, blah? What if I read things I don't like? And you will. We probably already have. It tells me that I need to live and act differently than I currently do or want to do. It's necessarily not, hey, this is what I want. Having a genuine interaction with God when God says, actually, I don't want you to do this but that. That's a real relationship. That's not just you making up God in your mind. It tells stories of things that I might abhor, like war. It says some hard truths. It says things that baffle me and bore me, or things that are sometimes irrelevant to my life. Sometimes I taste the Bible, and for some of you it feels bitter, not honey. What do you do? First, you're in good company. You're in good company if that's you. In the book of Revelation, John is told to eat a scroll classic weird language, strange, but a great picture. He's told it will be sweet at first, then it'll turn bitter. In other words, there's bad news to follow, to swallow, as well as the good news. But God says to John, and then to us, trust God as you read the Bible, he'll show you that in the end, he's a good God. Just because things feel bitter in the moment, doesn't make them off. Right? With meat or milk, I trust my nose. But I don't do that with the Bible. So you don't have to walk away if you hear something hard. You can, you can move forward, remaining in the faith, not giving away your faith, until you find some answers to some of the questions you have. There's a minister here called Ray Galea in Sydney. He said, when I read the Bible for the first time, I realised how different God and Ray Galea are. I knew right there and then one of us had the change. He's with me. Second thing, you're in good company. Second thing, stay the course. Don't let cynicism rule. Know that there are stacks of beautiful, humble, smart, able, wise people who have answers to the questions you're asking. They do. They really do. You know, um, when I read, uh, if you're a Christian, you're an idiot because you believe in, uh, you know, flying spaghetti monster or, or, or gnomes in the garden. I'm like, you do realise that some of the smartest people in the world... I mean, you can't... What are you... Really? <laughs> when Jesus was talking about um, eating his flesh and drinking his blood to get life from God, eternal life, lots of people walked away, as I said a moment ago. And uh, Jesus said to his friends, are you going to go? And he says, I, we don't have anywhere else to go. I don't, I, don't, I know what you're saying. I don't understand it. But they did eventually. They stayed the course... There's lots I don't understand, but, uh, but you, Jesus, know what you're talking about. Third, two more to go. Third, seek out people who see the Bible's beauty. If you suspect it's honey, find someone 
who you, you know they taste it and they think it's honey. Like, I'm one of these people, by the way. I'm not sure I'm your person. But there are plenty in this room that think the word of God or the Christian message is honey. Find them. And you can do that right here at Credo. And then make the time to spend with them, not just one or two answers, because that's just sometimes an exercise in cynicism. Walk with them. Grasp what they're saying. Understand. Pride stops us from asking, and laziness sometimes stops us from seeking. The current age of, uh, who knows, anyway, often makes some people give up, but there's too much at stake. And fourthly, and most importantly, the Christian message at its core, it does say both blah and beautiful. Christians believe the gospel is uniquely placed to be real about the blah that's in the world while rejoicing in the beauty of the grace of God. Frederick Bickner said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. There's only one way you can not be afraid in a world where beautiful and terrible things are happening is that you trust the God who has charted a path through the blah, who has charted a path through the terrible things The Bible tells me I live in a broken, unjust, and sinful world, and I'm a part of it. I don't get to blame other people. But the grace of God has come. Forgiveness of God is real. One had to die a bloody death on a cross for this beautiful outcome. His nails are my joy. His death, my death. His resurrection is my hope. That's not easy. It's never easy. Christianity has a lot to say about suffering, but it's the character of our broken world. It's a dark world. But Jesus, in the end, is a lamp for my feet. That's my presentation. Thank you. <laughs> the question now is, do you want to have one or two questions, or do you want to move on? I am in your hands. Um, we're going to pray. Okay. First, and then um, we'll get you back up. Great. Um, so I'd like to invite Thank you.